In my early 20s, I could watch the greatest chick flick around and never even get moist in the eyes. And now it's like I see a puppy dog and I just... Thank you, Greg, for leading us in worship. I am grateful that you are here this morning. Hope you have a Bible, um, something that you can open up or turn on, and that you will join me in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Hopefully you got a bulletin when you came in. On the back of that, there will be some notes that will help guide our time through the Word this morning. So 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, Some of you may not be aware of any of just what's been going on the last couple of months, but there has been a lot of spiritual battle and there has been a lot of sorrow and grief in this community and in many families inside of this church over the last couple of months. And I just want you to know, as your pastor, I wish that I could come in and fix it. The death, the loss, the sorrow. But they don't. Give me or give a pastor some little special fairy dust that when a family is going through trials, when a family is going through struggles, when the family is hurting, that I can just come in and do something and automatically fix it. And I wish there was. And I plan on when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to say, hey, Peter and Paul, you all had the power to raise people from the dead. You all had the power to do all these miracles. I feel like, you know, I feel like you could have given us just, you know, one month out of the year or something. But, so there's a lot of struggles going on. And as your pastor, I just want you to know that I love you. That there's a lot of people in this community that are praying for you. And your grief and your sorrow and your loss and your struggles do not go unseen or unrealized by us as a church. But as I read through scripture, I'm continually reminded that it's only going to increase. The Bible tells us as the days become shorter towards the coming of Christ and as the sin continues to ramp up and as darkness continues to be boldened, emboldened, and as they continue to see lostness ramp up and become more aggressive, the Bible tells us that we will continue on an increasing and a, even a more wretched basis to see death and to be sorrow and to see the effects of sin in this world. And I wish, as your pastor, I could look at you and say, oh, but it's only going to get better from here. But as somebody that reads scripture like you, all I can tell you is, is that there is coming a day that it's going to end. But until then, we have hope in Jesus. And in 2 Peter, we went through 1 Peter a few months ago, looking at what Peter has to say to the church. But as he turns the the page there into 2 Peter, he starts talking about who the people are in the church. And so this morning, I want you to, I want to invite for you to to walk with me. We're just going to look at the first two verses here in 1 Peter chapter 1. I intended to just skip the first two and go straight to verse 3. But in light of, especially just this last week, but in light of the the last couple of weeks, um, there's some stuff that I don't want us to miss when it comes to who we are together this morning as the church assembled. 
Now, if you think to a, um, maybe a, a day gone by, and I know some of you young people are going to have our time imagining this, but once upon a time, people would write letters by hand in cursive. And so when they would write these letters, there was usually some type of a salutation. It would say, dear Spence, Mr. Spence, fellow citizen, whatever the salutation was. And then what would follow would be the body of the letter. And then they would end it by giving the idea of who it was that was sending the letter. But by the salutation, you would kind of have an idea of who you were. And so if they, if you opened up a letter and it was addressed to fellow resident of such and such and such and such, I know that was somebody that didn't know me that was just doing a mass mailing. If I opened it up and it said, oh dear, you know, citizen of the United States, I would know it's probably something governmental. If it was somebody that was writing dear pastor, I would know that it had something to do within the context of the church. And if it was something about uh, from a loved one or from even Jaylene, I would know by who is writing it and their means of address. The salutation sets the tone. The salutation sets the context. The salutation kind of sets the stage for what is going to come in the remaining of the letter. So right here in verse 1 and 2 of Second Peter chapter 1, he gives us a salutation and he addresses, I'm going to go on in verse 3 down through the rest of the book, I'm going to go on and talk about who you are as a church and who you are in Christ. But I want to get the stage to understand this is the context of when and where and to whom and why I am writing. In this day and age, identity is huge. There's a lot of confusion about identity. There's a lot of questions about identity. There's a lot of questions about what the church should be, what the church shouldn't be, what is the role of the church in the world today. But when it all comes down to it and we think of it at its bare essentials, the reality is is that you and I, with our choices, with our priorities, and with our lives, we will either identify with the world But we're going to identify with God. And our identity matters now. Just as it mattered yesterday. But as the world begins, continues to become more chaotic. To become harsher. Our identity in God is going to be needed more and more and more as the days continue. So this morning I invite you to just look with me in these two verses and just let's look together as a church at what Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has to say to this early church. Remember, if you think back to kind of the context of 1 Peter, he's writing to a church there in what is modern-day Asia. And it's a collection of churches, mostly Gentile in composition. They were people that came to faith by the teaching and the preaching of the apostles and the early church leaders. And so these people were Gentiles. And to convert to Christianity meant that they were giving up, sacrificing, sometimes saying, okay... What do we do? And so Peter is writing to them, and this is a second leader, second letter that he writes to follow up to remind them of who they are. So he's going to give us, I, I'm going to point out to you, three marks of disciples. I used to, you would use Christians, but even more today, Christians become such a generic term. 
everybody is a Christian and everybody is this. And it really doesn't, I feel like it's losing some of its emphasis. So I put there a disciple because really a Christian is a disciple and a disciple is a believer. Those can be synonymous. But the question is, is a disciple is following after someone and every one of us in this room are following after somebody this morning. So Peter wants to kind of set the stage to remind them of who they are. So you see that at the top of your notes, we're just going to look at this as being our identity this morning. If you follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 1, Peter writes the second letter and he says, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I want you to see with me just three marks that he points to when it comes to our identity. We'll do this quick because we have a lot still to do in morning service. But the first one I want you to see is that we're believers by faith. He says right there at the, second, the last half of verse 1, he says, To those who obtained a faith of equal standing with Ours. He, he is reminding them that what unites them, what brings them together is not because of their political affiliation, not because of their demographic affiliation, not because of the sports teams they play for, not because of the soda drinks that they drink, not because of the color of clothes they wear. They have an affiliation. They have a connection. They have a relationship with one another because they are all believers by faith in Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, how, why does it have to be by faith? Because the only way that you're going to have a saving faith in who Jesus is and a saving faith for our salvation is by faith. Your salvation, can you touch it? No. Can you buy it? No. Can you see it? No. So how do I know that salvation is real? How do I know that forgiveness is real? Because God said it. Jesus lived it. Jesus demonstrated it. We have his word revealing it. And so therefore, by faith, I believe in what Jesus has done for me. And by faith, I trust my eternity and my hope in Jesus Christ. So we are believers by faith. So what does that mean? So Peter wants to remind them they have obtained a faith of equal standing. They may say, what does he mean by equal standing? What he means is, is that there is not a difference when it comes to a believer in Jesus Christ, one from another. I realize that some of us in this room are on different levels when it comes to our spiritual walk and our spiritual maturity. Many of you were way past me in spiritual maturity, and I hope that I at least got Malachi beat, or at least got Micah beat in the room this morning. There's sometimes we know that people have different levels of understanding, different levels of maturity, but the reality is, is that we all have an equal salvation in God. There's not one of us that's more saved than the other one. There's not one of us that's better saved than the other one. There's not one of us that's higher saved than the other one. Every single one of us. They used to say at the old sawdust crusades that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Because what he's saying is that when we come to Jesus Christ, we are all the same. That's why he says there, <coughs> excuse me, he says we have equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God. So Peter is writing to the church and he identifies who he is. He says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that he is just a lay leader in some backwoods, small town church. He was one of the 12 that Jesus called and said, come follow me. This is the same Peter that you go to Matthew 14. You know, there's only two people recorded in scripture that walk on water. 
Jesus in the storm. And when he sees Peter, when Peter sees Jesus, and Peter's like, well, you know what? If it's really you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, get out of the water. And Peter starts walking on the water. This is that St. Peter. So you can imagine some people look and go, well, I don't have that kind of faith. And I don't have that kind of understanding. And Peter is writing to them and saying, you know, the faith of Paul, the faith of Peter, the faith of the apostles, the faith of Moses, the faith of Abraham, the faith of all these people that come before us, the faith that you see outlined in Hebrews chapter 11. It is the same faith that we have today. I think if Peter was here, he would remind us that it doesn't matter when you're reading in the pages of scripture or in the pages of history today. It is all the same gospel. Sinners in need of salvation. The gospel hasn't changed. The story hasn't changed. It's the same gospel. It's the same truth. Peter wants to remind them that, you know what, it doesn't matter your last name. It doesn't matter your address. It doesn't matter what's, what, what epic of history you're living in. Do you realize that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we are all united. Our identity is first and foremost, our believers by faith. Not your church membership, not what kind of Bible you own, not what kind of vehicle you drive. We are all identified as believers by faith. Not believers by coincidence, not believers by convenience, not believers by happen chance, not believers by begrudging or uh, we feel guilty or believers because I have to do that. How many people do you talk to that say, I'm going to go to heaven because my grandma was a good Christian. None of that matters. He says, your identity is that you have faith in God. You have the same gospel. You have the same truth. We all have the same Savior. That's what he said to the last part of verse one, by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's wanting to remind us, every single one of us, that when it comes to your identity and people say, who are you? You may say, well, I'm an electrician. Well, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Imagine how radical it would be if you say, I'm a chaser of darkness. I mean, someone looks at you and they try to have a conversation. What do you do for a living? I chase darkness. What does that mean? That means I'm going around and I'm letting the light of Jesus shine in my life. And so when I see a little pocket of darkness over here, and I see a lot of pocket, park, little pocket, 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 pocket of darkness over there, I'm just going around and I'm letting the light of Jesus in my life shine. And so I'm just chasing darkness. When I see a little darkness, I go after it. The light, it tells us, Matthew 5, 16, the light helps eliminate the darkness. And so I just go around chasing darkness. Imagine the opportunity that we have when people ask who we are. Imagine what it would be if you and I started off with I chase darkness I'm a follower of faith you and I could have all kinds of not snarky not judgmental but you and I could have all kinds of responses to say who we are you know my identity in 10,000 years is not going to be father my identity in 10,000 years is not going to be husband my identity in 10,000 years is not even going to be pastor my identity in 10,000 years is going to be fellow believer of Jesus Christ. That's my identity. And he reminds us that we all are believers by faith. Now you may say, well, you know what, Spence? That's easy for you to say. No, he says that every single one of them, he is writing to them and he is saying to those who have obtained faith, of faith, how? Of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of 
It's one of those things that Peter is reminding them that they are not lesser Christians because they're Gentiles. They're not beneath Christians because they don't live around Jerusalem. They're not second Christians because they got late to the party of this idea of Christianity. They are all still believers in God. And he wants to remind them of who they are. He reminds them back to Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had gone into the temple. There's a lame man there. Peter healed the lame man. The lame man gets up. He's excited about it. Starts a, starts a little bit of a controversy. A crowd gathers around. Peter says, this is a good time to tell them about Jesus. He shares Jesus with them. And as they're in the midst of the preaching, and as they're in the midst of telling them about who Jesus is, the, uh, the, the temple soldiers come up and they take him and they go, well, you're going to have to answer some questions, buddy old pals. And so they grab Peter and John and they take him and they sit him down in front of the council. And I want you to just listen to what it says in John or Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 about these two guys. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common, or when they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You want to know something to be identified by? Not by your paper on the wall. Not by your title and your business card. Not because of what people know about you or how many people have you on Facebook or how popular you are in the community or what kind of service you have. Can you imagine when people look at you and they can tell that you don't know very much, but you know what they do know about you? They can look at you and by your life and by your actions and by your very presence, they can tell that you have been with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we're walking around here worried what people think of us. And we come in and out of here and we're worried about how people perceive us. And we're worried about the optics of it. And we're worried about all of these things. And being liked by people that don't care. And we're being liked by fickle people. And we're being worried about what our identity is in front of other sinners. And when he came before that council. The council didn't know whether they had walked. They, the council didn't know his credentials. The council didn't know his background. His council didn't know about his family. All they knew is that they were common people and they had been with Jesus. What brings that kind of boldness in a person's life is because they're believers by faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter, so Peter, this very same Peter here in Second Peter chapter one, he's writing them and he wants to remind them that this is a common identity. Believers by faith. But not only that. He gives us a second picture, and that is receivers of grace. Not only are we believers by faith, but we're receivers by grace. You see that the first part of verse 2. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now this whole picture, if you go back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 through down through verse 26, talks about this whole picture of salvation. This whole picture of righteousness. How it is that we are because of your money. Not because of your possessions, not because of anything else. It is simply all of grace. We're in a day and age of division, and polarization, animosity, competition, slander, malignment. Everybody's trying to get ahead of someone else. Every tear you turn, somebody's got an opinion about something. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were in a society that we were as quick to forgive as we were to criticize? Can you imagine what it would be like if we were in a society where we truly understood what grace was? 
You see here in the text that salvation is a gift. It's, it's identified as a gift because a gift is not something you buy. A gift is not something that you went out and picked out. A gift was something that somebody gave to you because they knew of what you needed in your life. And so he tells us that the first part of the second part of verse one, it's by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he's reminding them that they have all been receivers of grace. Now what does does this grace look like? Well, I'm going to tell you what this grace looks like. And it's radically different than what sometimes we think today. Grace doesn't have strings attached. Grace doesn't have any conditions. It doesn't have any ulterior motives. Grace isn't extended for what it gets in return. Grace is simply given not because of the person receiving it, but because of the person Giving it. And Peter says, every single one of us that know the name of Jesus Christ have received this grace. And the Bible continues to tell us elsewhere that then our responsibility is then to give that grace to other people. You say, well, Spence, I don't have a, I don't have a bottle of it. I don't have it in my purse or my wallet. I don't have it on the shelf at the house. How in the world am I supposed to take the grace that I've received and give it to someone else? I can't touch it. I can't feel it. I can't do anything with it. And that is where you understand that it's not a matter of a tangible thing that you give, but it's something that you give with your heart. It's something that you give with your time. It's something that you give with your words. It's something that you give with your prayers. It's something that you give with your priorities or your resources. Grace is what you give to other people. And what it is, is you are extending the love of Jesus Christ to others around you, not because they deserve it, not because you have too much of it, but because As you have been given, you want to give other people. It's it's this picture that so many times in the world today, everything is set up for public opinion or what they get in return or quick pro pro. I mispronounced that. Or it's always, it's always about the person giving it, wanting the recognition and brothers and sisters, Peter reminds us, Peter, Peter says, not only you believers by faith, but you're receivers of grace. You all have received the gift of salvation. Every single one of you have been changed by your creator. That's why he says in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, he wants to remind them that the change that has been brought about in them, the reason why they went from death to life, the reason why they, their sins were forgiven, the reason why they are now considered righteous in the eyes of God is not because they attained to it, because they did enough homework, because they, they went through some obstacle course. It's because their creator, looked down from the annals of time and said, I love them so much. I'm going to send Jesus to pay the penalty for their sins. And I love them so much. I'm going to make it possible for them to be right before me through my son, Jesus Christ. Which is why you see at the last part, we are right through Christ. He reminds us of this grace. This grace is not something that you and I fill out a questionnaire form. This isn't something that you and I have to file for. We are receivers of grace. And what that does is it makes us right with our creator through Jesus Christ. And yet so many times we think that we're earning our way to heaven. We think that we're doing it our own. We think that we are deserving of something special. 
Or we start to think that we can put limitations and we think that we can start putting where how much is enough and how far should I go? And time and time again, he reminds us that as you have received, you should give. So not only are we believers by faith, we're receivers of grace. But then this last one that I want you to think about with me is that we are examples of hope. So we're in this world around us. I look at you and say, what is sustaining you? My faith in God. Well, how can you be so nice when you have so much going on? Because I've been given grace. And I want to give grace to others. And then while we're doing that, we become examples of hope. So that's why he says in verse 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. He's telling them that these things, now he's not saying go out and distribute it, go out and give it out. Notice the, 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 the composition of the sentence. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So as he's writing to that believer and he knows that they are facing all kinds of persecutions and hardships and struggles, he knows that they have all kinds of questions and they have all kinds of doubts and all these dark clouds are hovering over them. He knows that they're dealing with sorrow. They're dealing with grief. They're dealing with loss. They're dealing with questionable times. They're, they're, they're wondering what's going to happen in the future. They have loved ones that have gone astray. They have uh, loved ones that are, that are combative. They, they have problems at work. They have problems at home. The kids won't mind. The husband and wife aren't getting along. He knows all of these things are going on. And so he wants to give them a word of encouragement. And so he looks at them and he's writing, he's writing to them and he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And you, I don't know about you. you obviously by your faces, you don't think about this stuff, but I think about this stuff. And I said, I sit there and go, well, Peter, why does it matter to me? Why is it such a big deal to me that you want to encourage me by saying, may grace, may grace and peace be multiplied to me? As I think about it, it's because other people know what I'm dealing with in any particular season of life. And they're watching me because they know I'm a Christian to see how I'm going to respond and how I'm going to act. And they're looking at me to see how I am going to respond to the difficulties of life. And they're looking at me to say, is it real? So Peter says, I want to give you, and I want to encourage you, and I want you to be indwelt, and I want you to be overwhelmed, and I want you to be overflowed with grace and peace in your life so that when other people look at you, when other people are looking upon this church, when other people are looking at families in this community, when other people see us as the spiritual body here in Wellston, they look and they have a beacon of hope to say you know what, we know it's real because what they have dealt with and still been faithful we know that it's real because of what they're going through and they still smile and they still love the Lord, they know, we know that it's real because of how they respond He says, so I want this to be multiplied in you so that when other people look at you, you can be an example of hope to them. Does that mean the storms won't come then? No, absolutely not. But what it does mean is that we are safe in the storms. I remember Camber was telling me about the tornado. I may get this wrong. It's kind of coming on the fly. But if I remember right, she's her shoes... We're pulled off of her feet. I think they were in the cellar. Right, Camber? Is that right? Right. So she was in the cellar. The storm was right going over the top of them. And she is in the cellar. And her shoes get sucked off her feet. Did you ever find those shoes? And I, and I think to myself, 
I have no idea what that feels like. <laughs> and then and, and the terror and the fear that must be there. And yet, yet spiritually speaking, when Peter writes them, Peter says, you may be in that storm shelter. You might be in the midst of that storm. You might be in that midst of that difficulty. But it's not the fact that God was going to save you from the storm. But he will remind you in the midst of the storm that you are still his. And not just being safe in the midst, safe despite the storms, but you're calm in the chaos. You're calm in the chaos. Why? Because you have grace and peace multiplied to you. As these things continue to bombard, as these things continue to pile up, and as you continue to go, I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know how much more of this I can stand. I don't know how much more of this I can deal with. Will it ever stop? Will I ever get a break? And, and on and on and on and on and on. You and I can have some calmness in the chaos. How? And not because you're so great at coping. Not because some counseling is therapeutic, medicated. Not because that has some wonder effect. But because you and I have grace and peace multiplied to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it says that it's multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And so when you're sitting there and you know, hey, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But you know, I know that God is still in control. I can have some level of calm in the chaos. But then this last one. Faithfulness regardless of the fret. Because that's what Satan does, doesn't he? Satan is intent to try to get you chasing your tail. If he can get you in some state of instability, some state of running from one crisis to another, and then next thing you know, you don't have time or you're not going to take time to look at him. You're not going to take time to rest in him. You're not going to take time to be refreshed by him. You're going from one burning pile to another burning pile to another burning pile, from one sick child to a sick child to a sick child, from one crisis to crisis to crisis. You're bouncing around. And sometimes Peter wants to remind us that grace and peace, the faithfulness, regardless of the fret around us, is because we have knowledge of God and it says and of Jesus our Lord what does that tell me what that tells me is is that I know that however dark it gets I know that however tough it gets I know that however much many struggles come our way this isn't the end and this is not as good as it's going to get and I know that when the trials and the struggles and the circumstances come, I don't have to depend upon me. Because he's enough. Because he's enough. And so he reminds us, Peter reminds us that we have an opportunity to display that identity, not only inside these walls, we have an identity, opportunity to, exp- to demonstrate that identity to a watching world. Practice our belief by faith. Give grace as we've received grace. And in front of other people. We can be examples of hope. Yesterday evening. Chad and Adam and I were sitting there. Watching a track hoe. Act like a broom and a dustpan on concrete slab of what was their house at one point 
Adam reaches down, and I don't know if it was a rock or if it was a piece of concrete. I don't know what it was. <coughs> but he grabs it, and he takes it, and he throws it in the pile. And he said, he is good. I don't always understand it, but he is good. That's the kind of example that we should be to a watching world. Just as we sang, as, as Greg led us in singing, just as we will proclaim when the times are good, just as we will smile and say when the times are easy, just as we will be happy to put on social media, oh, God is good and everything is great, when it's not. He is still good. So Peter writes to us as a church. He writes to us as a believers to remind us of our identity and our example that we have to be hope to a watching world. So let me quickly get to this good news. So then why is that good news for us today? Why in the world should we walk out and go, well, you know what? That's encouraging on how Peter talks about me. Three things and we'll quickly move on. First thing is that God gives faith. Why is this good news? Because here are these two verses. Peter reminds them and Peter points to them that this faith, this faith is not something that you manufacture. This faith is not something that you possess by yourself. This faith is not something that you inherit from someone else. This faith is is from God. God gives faith. That's what he says there in verse 1. Obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God. He says it is God that gives faith freely and willing as anybody asks. If you say, God, help me with my faith, God helps you with your faith. You need faith. You look to God. And not only does God give faith, but God gives hope. Hope. How do I have hope, Spence, from God? Because God promises you that this is not it. God promises you that a better day is coming for those in Him. God promises you that there is day coming. You look to Revelation uh, 20. 20 or 21 when he talks about that every uh, tear will cease, the, the suffering will go away, the hurt will go away all these things will end because God gives us hope and a future that is to come and not only that but this final one and if you don't get excited about this then you need to go home and just sit and not do anything until you get this in your soul, Christ shares his identity so my identity is not based in Spence. My not, identity is not based in my family. My identity is not based in my position or my service at a church. My identity is in Christ and Christ shares his identity with me. Christ is righteous before God. Christ is set apart, known by God. Christ has this right fellowship and right relationship with God. And Christ comes down and says, I'm going to share with you what I've got. Not that we come little Jesuses. But if you remember back to 1 Peter, he says we are co-inheritors. We have obtainers of, we, we, we obtained the faith, verse 1. He says, don't you realize of who you are? Christ came down and has shared his identity and says, they're with me. And the fact that as I mess up and I make mistakes and I sin, and Satan goes to God and says, you see that guy Spence? He says he's yours. You see what he's doing? You see where he's taking place? You see what's going on? Ha! Look what he's doing. It's like Jesus is up there saying, he's with me. 
And the day comes and I breathe my last and I get to heaven. And I stand before the judgment of God and God looks at me. And he says, for instance, why should I let you into heaven? She just walks up and puts his hands around me and he says, because he's with me. And brothers and sisters, it's not a matter of identity in a club in this community. It's not a matter of identity in a, in a street address or a neighborhood or identity in a, in a vocation or identity in a fraternity or sorority or an identity in a hobby or identity in a, in, in a sports affiliation. It's the fact that you and I come and you and I come as sinners in need of grace and you and I come as people needing salvation through God and Jesus comes down and says, you know what? You believe in me. You receive the grace and the mercy that I have come to bring to you and you see that hope that I have and then you can be with me. So we leave out of here. We have an opportunity and a responsibility to show people I'm with him. I'm with him.